Okay, welcome back listeners to the Donut of Destiny, the podcast on all things cardiac CT for anyone interested in cardiovascular imaging. My name is Praveen Ranganath with radiology at Massachusetts General Hospital in the United States. And I am Alastair Moss with cardiology at the University of Leicester in the UK. Today, we will continue the conversation on advanced plaque analysis with our expert guest, Dr. Jonathan Leipzig. Let's get back to it. Jonathan, thanks again for joining us. Why don't we jump back into our conversation here, starting with a discussion about different softwares that have been used for plaque characterization. From what I understand, there are several different software platforms that have been used for volume and morphology assessments. Some of the ones that are pretty well known include Cedars-Sinai's Autoplac, which I believe was used in the Scott Hart analysis. Other solutions include Metis' QEngioCT solution, which was used in uh, Iconic, which you mentioned on our previous conversation. Can you give us an idea as to if one of these software platforms is better than others or if there's different functionalities within them? Uh, well, that's, uh, you know, I thought you were a good friend, uh, Praveen. That's kind of a loaded <laughs> question. <laughs> no, uh, uh, listen, I, I don't sit as a judge on on either of them. I will say that, uh, you know, I know the teams have put them both together and I really commend them for their efforts. It's always uh, hard to be first in at anything and uh, to come with software that's really trying to enable us to do things that wasn't previously done. Is a, is a tall order. I think they have different strengths, for sure. I'm certainly not expert in doing the analyses. You know, our CT Core Lab, which supports a lot of the structural heart disease work, we don't routinely do quantitative plaque. I think that that, to be honest with you, is one of the concerns I have, is that, you know, I think providing the tool is great, but as you know, reproducibility and stability of the measures is a challenge. Anytime we roll out anything in imaging, and I think that holds true also for for plaque characterization and quantification, even as it relates to the acquisition of the data. I mean, we've seen for many, many years, and we see that in the paradigm data set as well, that that scan parameters obviously can very much affect your quantitative plaque uh, burden, but also the morphology, you know, with lower tube energy and higher contrast in the attenuation in the lumen, resulting in higher calcified plaque volume and, and lower non calcified or uh, or necrotic core elements. So there are ongoing challenges, but I really do commend these leaders in the field to help us on this journey. And Jonathan, you've, you've mentioned in passing there about these quantitative plaque measurements relying on different attenuations of the plaques relative to adjacent structures. Is there actually any good data that we can fall back on, like what tube potential we should use in order to maintain good reproducibility when we go on to do the post-processing? That's an excellent question, Alistair. The, you know, the recent guidance document from SCCT led by Leslie Shaw and, and Jaganarula is a great sort resource, I think, for the field to review, provide some of the limitations and some of the challenges. What I would suggest to you is that most of the analysis as it relates to quantitative plaque has really been thought-provoking and has helped us understand nuances and new opportunities to understand the interplay between CT-based plaque and risk. But I think if we were to go on to a personal level or an individual level and really guide medical management as it relates to treatment response, I think it's really, uh, it behooves us to ensure that patients are rescanned with the exact same scan parameters with the same type of iterative reconstruction and make sure the parameters are the same. And I think even doing so, there are fundamental challenges as it relates to it. And that's why I think that these quantitative plaque measures are very exciting, particularly as it relates to large databases. But I think we still personally have some ways to go before we can imagine that would actually modify clinical decision-making or medical management. Yeah, interesting, Jonathan. 
a lot of discussion about the scan parameters are nice because we can adjust them pre-procedurally or pre-imaging. The question I had is with regards to how we ensure standardization after the imaging data is acquired. From what I understand, there's a lot of user input that's required for these quantitative plaque measurements, for example, with lumen contouring. What do we know about the inter-observer and inter-scan variability with regards to these plaque morphology measurements? I think that's such an important question. You know, for those of you who've been subjected to hear me speak about structural heart disease, I always try to emphasize that, you know, for the guide management as it relates to intervention, we need a reproducible measure because, you know, if you're not reproducible, by definition, you can't be accurate. And I think that's a huge issue for these new algorithms or new softwares as it relates to segmentation of coronary atherosclerosis. And that's why we haven't dipped our toe in, for example, clinically or even research-wise here at St. Paul's because, you know, I'm not confident we would would really have the capacity to deliver a very reproducible analysis. I think that as it relates to reviewing papers that come out, this is always a concern that I have. You know, what experience does an individual lab have? Have they published their reproducibility data, their inter-observer variability? And I think this is something that we as a field need to continue to uh, speak to and, and, and work on because I think all the excitement around this could fizzle out if, if it's not integrated properly into clinical practice. So I think that's fundamentally a challenge for any time a tool is just given to you at your site and, and, and then implemented, no matter how good the software is, if it's developed by someone, if it's, if it's handed over to you, it's really our responsibility and our own labs and our own hospitals to to make sure that it's not just accurate in in Seoul, Korea or in Edinburgh, but actually uh, accurate here in Vancouver and reproducible. And Jonathan, we spent a lot of time discussing on measurements within inside the adventitia, so looking particularly at the plaque. But what do you think about the you know the ability of our CT scanners to now interrogate the fat surrounding that, the perovascular adipose tissue? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and I've, I've read with a great deal of interest the tremendous work that's really come out of Oxford and Caris Antonidis lab. And, and then, you know, in partnership with Stefan and many others, I think it's just fascinating. And I think it's really exciting, uh, not only in as it relates to guiding decision making here and now, but mechanistically, again, if we imagine that the disease starts with atherosclerosis and and patients at risk usually develop that prematurely. And then if we can hone in further on, on why they develop it or why they progress rapidly, because rapid progression is, of course, such a key component of incident myocardial infarction. So whether that relates to location of plaque or inflammation or the perivascular fat inflammation, or if it relates to morphology of plaque that helps us predict that, I think that's very exciting. And then if we could tie in not only that, but some of the radiomic features of, of plaque characterization or some of the hemodynamic features of mechanical stresses that inevitably play a role. I mean, I know of some analyses looking at geometric features of plaque, and we've also seen great work from the Emerald data from Professor Ku looking at translational pressure loss by FFRCT. Also, you know, helping us again build on this concept of plaque development, plaque progression, and then instability of plaque, either related to perivascular fat or plaque features or hemodynamic stresses. And I think they, there are many outstanding questions, but it's sure going to be fun trying to answer them over the years. Awesome. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about some of the recent media circus surrounding the impact of therapies like statins, icosapentethyl, and their impact on coronary plaque. So, 
Could we summarize what we know so far about the relationship between some of these therapies and the quantitative plaque measurements we've already mentioned? For sure. I mean, I think the easier one is, of course, statin therapy, because we have a wealth of data from intravascular imaging, in particular IVIS, highlighting that statin therapy results in you know a decrease in overall plaque progression, but increase in calcium. We've seen similar data from Sanglin Lee and Hyukju Chung, as mentioned in JAK Imaging in 2018, showing that Patients who are on statins have a lower rate of progression and have a higher rate of calcified plaque progression with a significantly lower rate of progression in non-calcified plaque, particularly low-density necrotic core. So I think that that relationship and that mechanism of action, both as it relates to the anti-inflammatory elements as well as the LDL pathway, I think that's, that's increasingly clear. I think as it relates to icosapendethyl, obviously the really excellent work that was published uh, in European Heart Journal by by uh, Matt Budoff and Deepak Bhatt, uh, as it relates to evaporate, is very interesting. Obviously, it's a challenge, and I understand there was a great, you know, there's a great deal of discussion online about it. Uh, it's always a challenge when you have a small cohort, but you know, I, I know Matt's lab well, and they have a very robust quantitative plaque lab that does a lot of this. Uh, so I think the findings are very interesting as it relates to tying in the significant reduction in events that we saw in reduce it, and then mechanistically what may be driving that as we saw in evaporate, a significant difference in plaque progression between uh, those patients that were on icosapenethyl and those that were on mineral oil. So I think it's a really interesting opportunity, again, not necessarily to titrate therapy on an individual basis or really in the clinic, but really to help us understand mechanisms of action and disparate outcomes. And Jonathan, we've been seeing, you know, a host of CT research labs using these quantitative plaque analysis tools. What do you feel that you need to see from a, a research data perspective to actually start to take this through to clinical use rather than it just being employed in the setting of a clinical trial? I think that's a really good question. I guess I would ask, how is it going to change your management, I guess, would be the question. And if we Harken back to the first part of our discussion in the West Danish Heart Registry and that the calcium score was incredibly powerful. I guess, why would I necessarily invest the time or the energy to, to quantify other elements of plaque if that's so powerfully predictive? And even if we go back more basically to Marcio Bittencourt's work in CERC imaging or of all of uh, the work that's been published from Confirm that, you know, the extent of segment involvement score is, is a tremendous marker. And then if you complement that with the presence or absence of a single vulnerable plaque, as we see in CADRADS, I think you get to a very practical level of implementation of, of a measure of plaque burden that can help guide management, which right now is fairly finite in its decision-making, right? I mean, obviously, with new and new agents coming to the clinical spectrum, it's, it's obviously different. But I still think that we need to go quite a ways to show that we actually have clinical utility in serially using these studies to characterize treatment response on an individual basis. I think we're not there, to be honest. Jonathan, I think this has been a really great discussion on newer understandings of the relationship between cardiac CT and coronary plaque. Do you have any final thoughts on this technology or the field as a whole before we conclude? You know what? I, I have so many additional thoughts, but I'm just grateful for having the opportunity to have shared some of them with both of you. I just want to commend you both for this amazing forum and, and great opportunity to discuss. I think the field has moved so far from in the last 20 years when Stefan first showed the feasibility of identifying stenosis 
And I think with all of these opportunities in plaque and hemodynamics and inflammation, the future is bright and it's especially bright with both people like you helping lead it. So thank you. Honored to have joined you today. Thanks again, Jonathan. This conversation has been both stimulating and highly educational, and it's always a pleasure to hear your expertise on all things related to Cardex CT. You know, for me, Alistair, the podcast team, thanks again, Jonathan. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you for tuning in. If you like what you hear from us on the podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us. Once again, this is the Donut of Destiny. Cheers. Cheers.